Can changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Baden and Rex. All right, welcome back to episode five, part two of My Corner of the Universe with Matthew Trum from Treetop Permaculture and CampfireRestoration.org. Matthew's going to pick up where he left off from episode one. Enjoy. Yeah, so what I think I was saying is that um, the co-op was uh, was picking up steam. It was working, but you know there was a, there was issues with you know people having to come back and pick up their pro- you know produce and things that maybe didn't sell and um, just you know, a few, few hurdles there, but then the last couple weeks, uh, before the end of the farmer's market season, what I did is, uh, I started putting food in boxes, like, you know, mix, uh, a mixture of uh, produce. And I started selling them for like 20 bucks for the box. You know, we do like $20 box of produce and it was like, boom, somebody bought it, you know, and then, and then another one and then another one. And then all of a sudden people were like, Hey, is this a thing? Are you, is this like a thing that you're doing? And I, I looked at my, my partner there and I was like, yeah. <laughs> so then we, we came up with the idea of, you know, okay, let's do a sign up sheet um, because the market's about to end. So how could we, we could do like a box um, sort of pickup deal. And so we got, I think like 25 people signed up within the first couple of weeks um, and then we started developing that and what it's turned into is we call it a, a cooperative CSA, um, actual name for it is co-op a box. And nice. yeah. And so what, the way the model works is that, um, we have our network of local farmers and producers is not just exclusive to food. It, you know, it's also any kind of, our, our thing is homemade or, uh, you know, homegrown. So um, if you're a local producer of, of, of something like that, you let us know on Tuesday uh, what you will have available for Friday. And then we put out an email to our, uh, our network, which now we have over 100 members <clears throat> of. Um, and we, uh, that they have from Wednesday to Thursday afternoon to order what they want. So I basically took everything I didn't like about a CSA as both a producer and also as a consumer. And I made this program. And so there's no upfront cost. Um, that might actually change like a $20 membership fee, you know, but, um, there's no upfront cost. You can, um, choose what you want in your box and you, uh, can opt in or opt out every week. So there's no obligation. So we just, uh, set, you know, $20 minimum if you're going to order uh, the box. And everybody, when we did that, everybody ordered over $20. Um, before we were just doing like a pre-made box in the very beginning and people would get it, you know. Uh, but we realized that we were limiting ourselves and also them on options. And uh, and so now we've got this whole order form that we developed. Um, and yeah, we, we get, we have, we're, teaming up with about anywhere from like, you know, 12 to like 17 farmers or, you know, producers in the area, um, every week. And we went from like having a pretty, you know, minimal selection of 
stuff to like we have a really massive selection of produce now and everything on there um our model is micro local so within a 30 mile radius um it's uh you know uh, super fresh because <clears throat> the way it is is that they order between wednesday and thursday evening and then friday morning we place our orders with the producers and they pick everything fresh friday they deliver it to us between 1 and 3 p.m and then we box it up and then people pick it up between 5 and 8 p.m wow and, is that um, 12 yeah. are you guys able to keep that going you know full year 12 months yeah well we started at the worst time so we started it last november <laughs> and uh, and so we, we kept it going through the whole winter um our numbers went down a little bit during the winter because like after a while like it got to be where it was like the same items right. for a while and granted this is our first year right but um you know but yeah we had like it was just like citrus and and greens and um a few other things um and so we did drop our numbers um and so even though we have a hundred hundred and like six, I think as of last week on, in our, um, in our weekly mail out, we get about somewhere between 25 and 30 a week. Um, and you know, so that's about the average right now. And it's picked up every week. It's like getting more. Last week was our biggest week ever. And do you still um, have the, the co-op booth, uh, every Saturday or whenever that farmer's market meets kind of? No. Okay. So it morphed um, into actually, this. So it morphed into this. Okay. Um, you know, permaculture, we're always looking at energy order mm. and uh, finding the, the maximum amount of, you know, energy out to the energy in. And what I realized is running a farmer's market for the first year, it was kind of a blessing in disguise, just the same as what I was talking about the, uh, the garden grant that right. I got for Berry Creek, um, where the owners of the, of the brewery, that they that own this Union Square that I'm sitting in right now, uh, they uh, they were trying to move away uh, and sell the place, and so they didn't want a lease being held on the site. So they actually called me in November and said, "Hey, you know, we're we're trying to sell the place, and we'd like to end the lease early because um, it would have gone till March, from March to March, and um, and that was actually fine for me because you know the winter is pretty dead." And right. I wasn't really making a lot of money on the space, you know, so, <clears throat> so yeah, we ended our lease and then they weren't prepared to like do a market this year. Um, they did, they were still in, uh, in talks of sale with a couple of different people. So we didn't do a market. It was very sad in some ways. Um, but then the fire happened too in the meantime. So my whole world changed too. And I was right. way too busy to run a farmer's market. I could have had one of my guys run it. Um, I realized that as a farmer, you know, as a producer, the same reason why people didn't want to come down to the farmer's market, um, farmer's markets are, are actually not the greatest energy order. They, um, you know, like you have to bring perishable items into a very hot, in our climate here, it's very hot, right? right. So like a Saturday, you're giving up your Saturday, you're bringing perishables out. And in Orville, we don't have a huge scene here yet. Um, and a lot of the people that are part of that scene are younger people right now and they don't wake up super early. So we, we were from 7am <laughs> to like 12, you know? And so people were just starting to get out and about, you know, around right. 11 on a Saturday. And so we, if we were going to run the model, 
the, the market this year, we we're going to change it to Friday nights. Um, and we were going to just do samples on Friday nights of produce and stuff. Like, so have farmers come at, like the co-op booth and do samples and we would have food trucks and things like that, the farm to fork cafe and music. But then you would just, uh, you would just be able to t- taste and then sign up for the box program. Mm. And so you'd be able to like, see what's on the, uh, you know, on the menu for the box program and sign up. But then it morphed to this. And I mean, it's amazing. I, I make way more money. I don't leave the house. Um, and every single farmer that I'm working with knows when they go pick that produce, it's sold, which is huge. Right. They yeah. That's, that's something <laughs> you know? on a farmer's market, you know, you get down to the end of the day and everyone's giving you discount produce because they want to get, they don't want to take it home with them and the quality is starting right. to go down. Yeah. So, um, well, you kind it's of going a per- down and people want that experience. <laughs> yeah, this might be a good time to, to transition into, you know, what you are doing up in paradise. Um, talk a little bit about that. You know, you can start with the name and organization you formed and kind of just, you know, take us back to last November when everything kind of um, started to come together as far as you're like, hey, I want to take action. Sure. Um, so I... A week before the fire, about a week and a half before the fire, I was online and, you know, I had just been setting up all these amazing systems over the last couple years and, you know, was really starting to promote them and starting second ones and stuff. And we're getting the second uh, co-op going in Grass Valley and one of my buddies who moved there. And so I was like online and I was sharing some of these things that were working for us here. And I ended up on a forum with a guy named John Dennis Liu. And uh, John Liu, uh, it was a huge inspiration to me. Uh, the same friend who introduced me to One Straw Revolution um, with the, that Japanese farmer also turned me on to uh, John Liu and this film called The Lessons from the Lowest Plateau. And you know, he did a couple great films, one, one called Green Gold. Um, and <clears throat> but primarily the, his biggest thing was documenting this uh, restoration project that the Chinese government did in the lowest plateau in China. And it was the largest uh, land restoration project in human history. It was uh, the initial base study on that was the size of France. Um, you know, like this one area was the size of France and then the, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, the size of Belgium (laughs) and the, the whole, the whole thing was the size of France, 650,000 square kilometers of degraded landscape in China. Um, that is, you know, called Lewis Plateau because it's known for the loose soil and this loose soil that was from there, uh, was from generations of. Um, bad agricultural practices, overgrazing, uh, and so forth. It's what they, where the Yellow River got its name from all the erosion that happened in this, this area. And Beijing, uh, a lot of the dust storms that you see in videos mm. came from this area. And so they, they said, we need to address this. Um, there's massive poverty happening here. Uh, so they, they had an approach where they actually came up with a design um, very much based in permaculture uh, principles, um, you know, and they basically reforested this huge area 
um, in 10 years and John filmed process. And so it's like the most stunning before and after pictures of, you know, what this was like before. And now it's, you know, the, the economy is uh, doing well. Everybody, you know, all the local farmers and everybody are doing well. It's just beautiful. Water flows are getting clean, um, so forth. So it was like one of those, wow, you know, moments. And I used that video in a lot of my permaculture design courses, show people, whatever. And I was on a forum a week and a half before the fire. And I saw John um, on this, you know, on this forum and, and talking. It was on a Facebook uh, group. And, you know, I wrote, I wrote him a message with like a whole bunch of links to some of my projects. <clears throat> it's like, okay, I'm going to throw this out there, you know, and he wrote me back. Um, and then we ended up in a, in a live back and forth conversation uh, on there. And next thing I know, I'm getting, I'm getting a call, a Facebook messenger video call from John Liu uh, from China. Uh, and it, it was like two o'clock in the morning, his time. And he was so excited about the work that I was doing that he, you know, he called me and uh, we ended up talking for like two hours that night. And he invited me to be one of the, um, you know, council members of the, the ecosystem restoration camp council for California. Oh, amazing. And this was the first time I ever heard about ecosystem restoration camps. Um, you know, and he was, you know, he explained it to me a bit and I did a bunch of research the next couple of days, of course, on that. And I was really excited, you know, this is one of my heroes. And, um, and, you know, I was watching these videos on it and, and, you know, what it sounded like was this sort of, uh, you bring volunteers and experts and resources together and you do sort of a restoration flash mob, you know, uh, to restore a large uh, area of degraded land. <clears throat> and, you know, it's kind of creating that community and, and that atmosphere uh, that we know, uh, all know very well and we like, is which is camping, you know, and that's that was a brilliant approach to i thought the work that needs to get done so i had this sitting in the back of my head right and then on the on november 8th um my daughter was dropped off at ponderosa elementary school half hour later after i dropped her off i'm all of a sudden getting all these messages and calls on my phone from people like oh my god you hear about the fire you hear about the fire and you know i i couldn't get a hold of her i i couldn't find out what was going on i didn't have any communication for over an hour um and so you know uh luckily she was thrown in a car by one of her um her friend's moms and taken out okay sorry for the cliffhanger here folks but technology. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. We had a tough time just with our connection on this interview, but we pick up with Matthew right where he left off, trying to find out where his daughter was at the beginning of the campfire. So I didn't know what was going on. And apparently she got picked up by one of her friend's moms and taken out of danger her mom uh, my daughter's mother and then uh, they went to go get their dog and it, you know at their house and when they they did that and then they barely made it out after that because the fire was on both sides of them and 
you know, that the story you've heard many times, yeah. people with wall, walls of flames on both sides. And, and fire. for people that are listening that don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the campfire that happened in November of 2018 in Paradise, California. So uh, anyone can go search that and be able to find it. But um, yeah. And so, so, so your daughter yeah. made it out. She made it out. And, uh, and so, you know, and, and a best friend of mine just lost his, lost his place. He, you know, he had moved there a month before and, uh, and he, he came and moved, he came to my house for a couple of days and we had other survivors there. Um, and then I put him up in my place up in Berry Creek and he stayed up there for a day and then he got evacuated because the fire ended up moving up there. So he came down to Oroville. And then we got an evacuation notice the next day. And so it was like three different times. And as I was, you know, I packed up all my stuff and that turned out to be sort of a, uh, you know, a false alarm or, you know, a little bit ahead of the, of the game, but they were, they were trying to get ahead of things at that point and being a little bit more cautious, you know, considering everything that happened. And, um, but as I'm, you know, evacuating out of there and granted, you know, I'm in downtown Orville. So, um, I, I got evacuated from the spillway event the year before, right. Or, or a year and a right. half ago. Yeah, right. um, that that same that. year we, we, uh, had moved our family heirlooms from Orville to Berry Creek. We had a fire evacuation that year. Um, and then we had to move back down to Orville. And so it was like, you know, in three times in, in two years, we were, I, I had to evacuate and move these family heirlooms from down the valley up to the mountains. So we have a, a little saying here, it's hell or high water. <laughs> right. Um, and so that set the stage for, you know, as I'm, as I'm leaving, I'm evacuating out of Oroville and I'm, I'm thinking about all these things, right? And I remember those videos that I was watching about John with John Liu and him talking about ecosystem restoration camps when I was actually doing my research about them. And it like hit me like so hard. The thing that he said in these videos over and over again, his tagline was let's gather around the campfire and restore paradise. And he was, he was using it as a metaphor for, you know, uh, the camps, you know, go, gathering around the campfire at the camps and restoring this this earth, you know, the paradise of this earth. Mm. And it was like, oh my God, this is the best place for a camp. Like this is the camp. And, you know, and so I called John, like in the car evacuating <laughs> from Oroville. I called him on Facebook and he tells me later that it was an accident that he answered. He like swiped his phone like the wrong way <laughs> and he answered my call and, you know, and he makes it way more dramatic than it, than it probably was when he talks about it, you know, now, but, um, it's like Matthew was leaving and, you know, escaping from the flames of the fire and, you know, uh, but you, you know, I, I was, I said, John, I said, this is it. We lost paradise, you know, like this, this needs to be the next location for the, the camp. This needs to be the next camp here in paradise. And I've got people, I've got the resources to do this. Like I want to make this happen. And so he said, I'll give you my hundred percent support. Let's do it. And amazing. so from that point on, you know, I, I contacted all these folks that I, that I knew 
through the networks I created through the last couple of years um, and, you know, experts in different fields. And I put out a video um, probably the next day, I think. And uh, this was what, like a week and a half after the fire and of the idea behind this. And I had so many people call me after that. Uh, it was like a lot of people were thinking and I just happened to say it. <clears throat> and I, and I had all these different, you know, cob builders and, you know, uh, you know, straw bale house builders and, um, you know, permaculturists and water, water experts and forestry experts and, you know, you name it just started, I was getting hundreds of emails coming in and it was like, okay, this is a thing. So I put, I, I started to go fund me. Um, I just started, um, you know, making calls. Um, and so I started, you know, putting out, like writing down a, 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 a plan of what I thought would be the most important things to start addressing. And, and so what I saw as being the biggest deal was all these toxins, right, that were in these the environment here um, coming from these homes, coming from all these structures, and that we needed to cap. Uh, those structures with some sort of, uh, you know, wattle, straw bale, kind of, you know, whatever. And uh, I reached out actually to Eric Olson from the Permaculture Skills Center in Santa Rosa. And Eric Olson is another, like, really huge permaculturist um, in that area. And I remembered that he had um, started this kind of work after the Santa Rosa fire. Mm. <clears throat> and so I called him for advice. And what I found is he had called people from down in, LA for the big fire that happened a few years back from culture down there. So I was sitting already on two years worth of experience. Um, and what he told me right away was, you know, don't get into anything fancy, you know, focus on waddles. Like first thing, get waddles, put out waddles around the homes, um, you know, erosion control, toxic uh, remediation. Um, and, you know, and just to stick to that. So, What's a waddle for I was, people that don't know? Yeah, so a waddle, that's a very, uh, and always a, a, a question I get. So a waddle is a straw noodle um, that is bound by some sort of material. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tube of straw that's used for erosion control. Okay. So it's placed out on, on, on a hillside usually for erosion control, but um, it's also really great to absorb toxins um and you know you can come back later and you know introduce mushroom spawn into that uh waddle that um there's a lot of fungi that will actually uh, remediate and clean up toxins in the environment um which eric olson and their group had it really focused heavily on um after the santa rosa fire but what he found is it was um they they waste a lot of energy on it because the the uh you know, the groups will come around and, and actually just remove all of it when they do right. house cleanups, you know. So he saved us a lot of time and energy because I was doing the same thing. I was actually already contacting like Fungi Perfecti and, um, you know, Myco Labs and all these groups that were willing to donate all this stuff. But what was frustrating is we couldn't get into the burn areas right away. It was still, um, they still had the, you know, evacuation orders. Um, they, um, they were doing uh, private contractors at, in the very beginning, the county. Uh, and actually, we we talked to them and we had a, uh, a contractor that we, we got on board and we got all the right things in, in place that we needed. They were about to sign a contract with us to allow us to do a bunch of work and actually give us funding 
And I was super excited and uh, we were about to go in and do that. And then I get a call back from them and said, actually now uh, the feds are involved and um, we're, we're not doing anything anymore. Um, we've stepped back on all that um, because the feds had, had come in with assistance, Cal OES and other groups. So that was a major blow. And it was like, it was just sad because I knew, I knew there was people doing similar things up there. I didn't know what, there was no information out there, but um, I knew they weren't doing any kind of pair, you know, the, the thought process that we were. And, uh, you know, the people they did let up there was, you know, it was massive uh, amounts of uh, PG&E workers and stuff, just basically clearing a hundred feet on both sides of the, the roads up there. And, and, and it seemed, it was really frustrating, but we ended up finding a group that was working in the gray area. Um, and it was the Butte Creek. Um, uh, they were called Friends of Butte Creek. And they were a lot of uh, different people who started the Ecological Preserve in Butte Creek Canyon. Um, and uh, they you know, were, were concerned about the salmon run and they were working with Fish and Wildlife. And they just had some really down folks who, and it just seemed like they weren't really paying a, ton, a lot of attention to that area. So we, we found a, a loophole we found a gray area to where we could work so we went ahead and just supported them that was the first thing we did we brought volunteers and resources to them and we worked in the Butte creek canyon and nice. uh, we ended up getting uh like 1200 waddles donated by uh, uh through the nrcs the national resource conservation district um through cal oes it was leftover ones from uh, santa rosa actually fire and so we were able to bring in wattles and straw bales and stuff and start to do erosion control and, uh, and you know, lay them around houses so the toxins wouldn't run into the creek. And so that is was that, the, Is that Honey Run area? Is that what we're yes, talking about? Okay. exactly. Yep. Um, and so that was, so basically, you know, that was the first stage. And then uh, once they opened up the site uh, or opened up the, you know, the other areas, we had contacted uh, a place in, in we, we had three sites um, we call them staging sites where we were able to get materials dropped off at and picked up so we had one in uh Honkow, yankee hill at Heinz, Heinz hardware store um, one at a church in paradise and then one at the uh, uh ecological preserve at butte creek and so um, i had contacted local rice farmers and you know, um, that and they donated like 2,500 uh, straw bales, uh, rice straw bales, uh, for us. And so we dropped those off at, at some of the different sites and all the bottles. And we were just distributing those to homeowners and giving uh, training how to use them, stuff like that. And we were having work parties go out and actually put them out on the land. And this is during the heavy rain because we had a big winter. Right, right. Because we, yeah, right. So we had rain like right after the fire you know um it, it was really unfortunate because out of anything that happened the, the only thing that we really can't uh we can't get, the only thing we can't get back is the toxins that were leached out into the environment um, we can build soil we can regrow trees we can do all this stuff but uh, the, the toxins that moved quickly into the creeks and the rivers, um, you know, that will be in our environment for a long time to come. Um, we're going to have to do some major stuff to, um, to remediate that. 
Um, <clears throat> so anyway, so yeah, we set up staging sites, um, and all this and, and, uh, we created, we started creating this model, you know, for, um, for response to disasters using permaculture design. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I was just making videos, how-to videos, um, started, I started, I had a community meeting, uh, to explain the idea behind the project and, you know, formulating this whole, like, you know, what, what it is, what we're trying to do. And so our, um, the, what we've described it as, is, uh, you know, human and habitat, uh, land habitat restoration. Uh, so giving training, uh, tools, resources, and, um, you know, a network, kind of a, uh, community, uh, network system, based in these community meetings um, that we started to get the right type of people together um, to hear from experts in these alternative sustainable design models uh, for, you know, not only just restoring the, the land, but, but also rebuilding in a different way, you know. There's like, obviously tons of red tape that is, a, you know, around you know, a disaster like this. And so for you guys, that must be tough when you're trying to come in as an alternative method to, mm -hmm. to run into all these different roadblocks per se. Yes and no. Um, you know, so yes, there is a lot. Um, if you're, if you're going directly to those types of agencies that are doing that work, and that's what I learned right, right away is that, um, if you, if you're going that way, you know, I like to keep my, my foot in both arenas, right? So I like to be with arms open and, and working, trying to work with the uh, powers that be, you know, and the agencies that are doing this, like, you know, they're kind of like the authorities. Um, and then also doing whatever I possibly can in that kind of gray area realm, right. you know? And what I found is, is that because of, the fact it was so overwhelming, there was so much need, is that it was really easy to uh, be in that realm, uh, and, you know, and, and just get a lot of things done. And and the locals were really receptive to it. Um, and, you know, and so, and, and then, you know, the public agencies, these other agencies that were doing, doing the work too, they recognized right away that they didn't have the capacity to, right. um, to help, you know, help the amount of people that needed it. So they were actually being supported and um, about a month into it, there was a meeting that was put together by the fire safety council. Um, that was, uh, it was like the fire, gosh, it was, anyways, it was a big fire summit meeting that they were going to do anyways, even before the fire. And I ended up talking to the, the lady who runs it and it was just like, I don't know, just coincidence that uh, the executive director of the fire safe council's parents were old school permaculturists. And uh, back in the eighties, they got their PDC. And, um, and so she was very familiar with permaculture. And so she put me up on stage on a panel with all the top people from the County. So I was up there with the supervisor, awesome. you know, of the County. I was up there with Cal fire. I was up there with, forestry department and all these groups one of seven you know that's <laughs> panelists. yeah and it was a it was a really uh, a big moment for me my buddy andre jokes that hey you had the same amount of of, of dots as they did on the, <laughs> on, <laughs> on the on the thing you know and um and we had the biggest when we broke out to break off groups 
um, after the the thing, we had the biggest amount of people around our group. Oh, I bet. I totally didn't see that. It was so cool. And it just, it it showed me right off the bat that, you know, we have something really major to contribute here. And, uh, and we just kept, kept going. So uh, from that point, we, um, we just kept doing these community meetings. Um, We started forming council or uh, committees um, for the different uh, elements of, you know, rebuilding. So we started a shelter committee, a water committee, a, a waste to resource committee, um, a, um, you know, uh, food committee, um, all these different aspects, you know, other like with like uh, the invisible systems, like community systems and whatever. And we just started pulling all these experts in from these different areas and sending them to these committees um, and, and, you know, uh, having, having these just get togethers with community members and, um, and that started the momentum. And meanwhile, you know, the ecosystem restoration camp movement um, is, you know, is calling out to me saying, hey, you know, we want you to be, um, you know, the next camp. Um, and John was coming out, the first California council meeting was supposed to be in February. And it ended up getting postponed, but they had already uh, rented this big, this big lodge and uh, it's down in Los Altos, a place called Hidden Villa. And, uh, and a lot of the people that were part of that council were, uh, you know, top forestry type folks, fire ecologists. Um, there was a, a major tribal uh, representation by the Amamutsin tribe that is like the leader in fire restoration. Wow. Um, and train of uh, other um, tribes, and, you know, in, in the old ways of fire fire and everything um there was the the guy who ran the conservation department for california uh for jerry brown for 20 something years uh was was going to be there and so they called me up and said hey um what do you think we we got all these people that were supposed to come we got this place rented would you like to do some sort of a fire related summit with all these experts and i said heck yeah let's do it so we had a a major fire summit uh, down there and it was a transformational experience for me and it was the first time i met john lou um so he came out i met john and uh there was about 25 of us you know like i'm talking like the top of the top permaculturists and ecologists in california were there wow and, uh, that's amazing this conversation that i've been wanting to have for years you know i'm like you know with this guy who's like my hero and everything and um and you know we it was it was just really uh it just happens to be a lot of muscle car uh, people out today. Uh, sorry. <laughs> editing, editing. Um, anyway, so yeah, we had, you know, just these really heady people together and um, it was just kind of a dream come true. And, um, and, and the whole, the connection with the tribes was, you know, was huge and, and, and recognizing that there was this major healing that could take place in, um, in giving the tribal members in California, a role to uh, to play like a leadership role in restoration, the restoration work that needed to happen, and um, and how that that could heal both sides um, of this long history of of uh, you know um, hardship, and that was huge. And and listening to the guy who ran the conservation department for California tell us that you know the question was well. What do you think we could do 
what could be the best thing to do to work with the state of California, you know, to make these things, uh, you know, a, a major uh, policy change. And he said, you do it. You just do it. He said, right. he said the biggest things that were ended up being implemented or, or um, uh, adopted by state of California were projects that people had just have done it. And they called the representatives from California to come see what they did. And then they ended up turning it into the law. And so that, it was kind of like, ton of sense. right. And so it was like a big green light for me um, in my already kind of rebel style of doing things of, okay, so I'm going to keep working this. And, um, and so that was huge. And, uh, so many things to tell you about that whole meeting and the four o'clock in the morning conversation with John Liu, uh, you know, uh, explaining to me, uh, about his work, you know, and, and whole concept of Sinai Peninsula and, um, and how that was the first place that humans had, uh, degraded in, in human history um, from agriculture and how, you know, just the links that I, that I learned from all that. But anyways, um, what, what is relevant um, for you now is that we, we are now officially recognized as the third ecosystem restoration camp in the world. We're the first ecosystem restoration camp in the United States. Amazing. Um, and we are a unique model for the restoration camps uh, because we're a disaster response model. Um, that is a mobile model for the, the camps. Um, the, the ecosystem restoration camps that started, the first one was in Spain at Altiplano, uh, Camp Altiplano. The second one, which was just like a month before we got official, uh, was in Mexico. Um, and that's uh, Via Organica. And now we're the third. And <clears throat> those two camps are... Um, we're based on the original model, which is um, a permanent camp site, you know, a site that is an area that's in degraded, a degraded piece of land that, you know, uh, you build up infrastructure and you have these um, big major restoration stop camp that people come in and do this kind of work. And <clears throat> what we saw here that that model, there was two things I didn't like about it. Once again, we're left with another cliffhanger as Matthew's connection goes out. But don't worry, Matthew's back in part three of the Matthew Trump interview. Make sure you tune in because he's going to finish by breaking down everything that is campfirerestoration.org, how you can get involved either locally or monetarily. Thanks so much. If you liked today's episode, you can find more information at mycorneruniverse.com. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.